God bless you. You can have your seats. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today and have this time to worship Him together. Amen. Good to be home together with you and hope to be home together with you through the month of November. I do have some meetings at 1st of December to go to Brother Jason Watkins and minister there and to, uh, to a group of uh, to a ministers meeting as well. So, you know, it's a, a, a time, uh, we, we, just a time today of reflection, of thinking, of, of praying, of believing together. Um, as you know, I went to um, Johnson City, Tennessee. Uh, we had our sister, Erica Reagan Parker. She was 44 years old, had passed away, Brother Donnie's daughter. You know, we prayed and God has given us the answer. And he gave us the answer by rescuing her from the dreaded disease of cancer that ravaged her body. And uh, we want to thank the Lord for her life and testimony. I went there and I um, ministered to the family and to the church. And, um, you know, was just a part there with them. And uh, as you know, Brother Donnie Reagan, I've been very close bosom friends since 1987. And uh, even though I was scheduled to go away to um, fly to Switzerland and then on to France for meetings, um, you know, I, I just couldn't go under the circumstances. And so I, I stayed home and Brother Timothy went, had tremendous meetings. He's finished up in Belgium today and he'll be traveling home uh, on Tuesday. So keep him in your prayers that the Lord will be with them. And he is certainly... Bless them in both places there in France with tremendous meetings and an outpouring of the Spirit and revival coming there. And, and uh, so we are thankful to the Lord. I also wanted to mention to you as a church that our brother Billy Paul Branham, he was 88 years old. He passed away on October the 19th with pancreatic cancer. And um, I, I guess they kind of kept that a. Uh, a little bit secret. Most people didn't know that um, he was uh, in that condition. But Brother Billy was a, a loving man and so sweet and very kind. You just couldn't help but love him. And certainly I had a special place in my heart for him. Uh, you know, many, many years ago when my wife was just a young teenager, about 13, she had um, uh, an awful condition that doctors uh, had said that she was uh, going to... Uh, well, they they thought it was meningitis. Uh, they were uncertain what it was, but they checked her out of the hospital and um, took her to over to Coal Lake, Mississippi, where Brother Billy Paul and Brother um, uh, some of the other brothers, Brother Doug McHugh's was there, and in a prayer line, she was healed for the glory of God and lived many years and blessed us as a wife, a mother. A grandmother, a, you know, a church pastor's wife, you know, it, just um, wonderful, wonderful things that the Lord did. And I know God used Brother Billy in many ways as, um, you know, through life's journey. And I want to thank the Lord for him and his love for the Lord and his love for the message and his love for the, the things of God. So let's stand together as we... We go to prayer this morning. We just remember these families in prayer as they continue to deal with their loss. 
uh, pray for the Reagan family and the, the Branham family as well and the extended family. We just want to ask God's grace now upon them. Lord, as we just bow before you today, we want to thank you for lives that have gone before us, lives that has inspired us. We think about Sister Erica and her life and testimony, how that she was one who died in faith, believing the promise of God. As I testified of her in the service that she was a woman of faith, and we thank you, Lord, for these, these people of faith, like her, like Brother Billy Paul, who has, who has tried to stand for you with all that he knew. We believe that he was a sincere Christian. And we know, Lord, that he has been gathered with his people on the other side. We're asking, Lord, today for those of us in the journey that you will just encourage our hearts. Lord, that you will... Help us to press along life's journey, realizing, Lord, that we're still here to fight the battle. And, Lord, there are those members of the bride, Lord, that have been called on to the other side. And certainly we can now say there's more over there than there is here, as the bride is made up of seven ages. And here we think of Father here we're the last runners in the race and the responsibility that we have as your children to continue this journey and to fight the good fight of faith and to, to finish the work that you started. I pray, Lord, that you'll bless this congregation and this people today as we just kind of draw up the armor and we put it on a little tighter and adjust it this morning, draw our sword and advance forward. May no one, Lord, lay down their sword or take off their helmet. It's, the battle's not over. It's time to advance. I ask, Lord, that you'll give us faith and courage and ability as we press along. I ask, Father, for comfort for Brother Donnie, Sister Carol, Brother Lance, the four girls, and all the other extended family. Lord, I pray that you'll comfort them as only you can comfort. Lord, as they will feel the vacancy and the, and the loss, and Lord, I pray that you'll help them, Father, in this. And may that they turn to you with all their hearts and be more determined than ever before. For the Branham family, Lord, I pray that you would bless them in a great way. Pour out your spirit upon them, Lord, and may they be revived within their hearts and their hearts turn back to the faith of the apostolic fathers as Elijah promised would happen. I ask, Lord, you'll do a work in, the, in their lives. We don't want to leave one behind. So we're asking, Lord, that you would just be all-inclusive today and move on the lives and hearts of men and women everywhere and cause them to come to you with all of their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Let's turn to the Bible. Let's go to Joshua 111. It's a scripture that I ended on the other day, and I thought I would, I would read from here again this morning. I've got uh, lots of places to go, 
in, in the Word of God today, so I pray that you'll, you'll be patient with me. Some things I want to speak to you about personally, um, uh, as far as the times that we're in. So I'm going to read from this and from Isaiah 66 also. So Joshua 111, pass through the host, command the people saying, prepare your victuals for within three days ye shall pass over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God hath given you to possess it. In Isaiah 66 and verse 8, who hath heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the birth and not cause to bring forth, saith the Lord? Shall I cause to bring forth and shut the womb, saith thy God? Rejoice ye. With Jerusalem and be glad with her. All ye that love her, rejoice for joy with her. All ye that mourn for her. May God bless you as you're seated. May add his blessings to the word. Amen. May he just today take us over in such a way that we minister the words of life. Looking over this congregation today, we want to just focus in on some things today as we are living in this time, this day and hour. I, you know, have been a very a much of a student of the visions of Brother Branham, and I've mentioned this to many of you before, but I'm just going to go over it with you as uh, time has passed, and we are here now at a very special moment in time. I, I feel like that we are. But um, many years ago, now in 1937, Brother Branham had a, a vision that took place shortly after his wife, wife Hope and his baby daughter Sharon Rose's death. And he, um, he of course, was uh, in a very despondent condition. He had tried on, uh, this would now be two occasions on which he would try to take his life because he didn't feel like it was worth living. He looked at himself as a failure, having disobeyed the Lord and having things that had come upon him. As you know, he was to uh, have went with the Pentecostal people after his experience at Mishawaka. And then his, his mother-in-law, Hope's mother, would um, just, just come out and, and uh, adamantly refuse to let her daughter go out on the field as he would go out to preach to the Pentecostal people. And so because he didn't go, he would try many times to make up for that in life. But in this, he was very despondent because he looked at his situation and, uh, uh, you know, as uh, having lost a wife and a little baby daughter somewhere around eight months old. And, and um, you know, he... he tried to take his life by first um, taking a hold of uh, the power lines and, and uh, electrocuting himself and found himself at the bottom there just uh, weeping and, and beside himself at the bottom of the pole. And later he would try to take his life a second time with, um, with a pistol. He was, used his service revolver. And uh, he tried to take his life. He got down and prayed and said, 
you, you know, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and pulled the hammer back, and it wouldn't fire. So he threw it across the room, and it went off. And, uh, you know, it was God protecting the gift. And, and so as, as you know, in this despondent condition, he laid across the bed and, you know, some place he said he went to sleep or he must have went to sleep or another it was a trance or he called it a vision. But nevertheless, he's, he thought he was um, walking along a path out west and he was dressed in western clothes. And as he was out on this prairie, he um, happened to look along the path was a wagon, an old covered wagon that was there and the wheel was noticeably broken with the axle hanging down. And as he approached the scene, he was whistling and, or perhaps singing a tune to the, an old uh, country uh, a cowboy ballad of the wheel of the wagon is broken. This song, although it was written, I think some uh, 10 years before, was sang by Patsy Montana with the Prairie Ramblers in 1936 and was sang on on the radio on a popular show called uh, Grand Old Opry. And it was a mournful account of a, a bidding farewell to ranch life. It was really the sad song of a cowboy and the end of life. And, this, and it goes along like this. The wheel of the wagon is broken. It ain't going to turn no more. My days on the prairie are over. There's weeds around the old ranch door. There ain't any campfire smoking where we sang when the day was through. The wheel of the wagon is broken and gone is the west I knew. Goodbye, old faithful. There's a sign on the ranch for sale. Goodbye, O faithful. Looks like the end of the trail. And so as he's whistling this song about death, then somewhere near the the broken down wagon, he sees this beautiful young girl. She's about 18 or 20 years of age. And and, uh, I, I just want to break here in the story just to remind you as he looked at this, um, this prairie schooner and the wagon wheel that was broken. He would mention of it, you know, it represented his broken family. But um, when he had his visions to go west, and some of you that are here might remember many years ago now in the old church, I took a whole series on the visions to go west as we studied those visions why God sent Brother Branham West and so on like that. And this was one of them that he, he thought, you know, that um, he, in the services of the time he tells about it, he said, I, I turned around and to my right sitting at the front of the gate was an old prairie schooner. You know, what a covered wagon with horses hitched to it. And sitting opposite the driver's side was my wife and I looked in the back, my children was sitting back in there and I climbed up on the wagon and I said, honey, I've stood all I can stand and I picked up the lines and pulled the lead horse and started heading westward and the voice spoke to me when this comes to pass, then go westward. 
And then he continues telling and picks it up later in the same sermon. Is this a sign of the end, sir? That vision had my wife and my children in that. And the very thing was I was in a covered wagon. And the minute I walked in there, there was I was in my station wagon. And that's the way we leave in a couple days, not knowing where we're going, not knowing what we're going to do when we get there, just going. So you can, you can see the, the parallel just past the, the modern-day prairie schooner, his old station wagon just past the wreckage. Here he enters into that other dimension. So, you know, you know sometimes visions are very timeless in that even though here he is in 1936, um, 1937, and there, you know, here he is in that time, but actually he's been transported right to the wreckage, right past the wreckage of the station wagon, somewhere out on the prairie out west. And we know that he died there in Amarillo, Texas, there out on the prairie, walking along a roads, and he's singing this popular Western ballad, The Wheels of the Wagon is Broken. And as he passes the covered wagon, um, or this prairie schooner, and he, he noticed that the, the, the wheel is broken and the, making the box frame tip down in one corner until the axle touched the ground. And, and just past that wreckage, here was this pretty young lady that stood watching him. And the wind would play in her in her long blonde hair and her, her eyes just sparkled blue and in the sun. And as he walked by, he just kind of tipped his hat and greeted her cheerfully and said, um, good morning, ma'am. She said, good morning, daddy. Well, he stopped and he stared at this beautiful young woman and said, well, miss, how can I be your daddy when you're almost as old as I am? And her, you know, she just smiled at him and showing her perfectly formed teeth and said, Daddy, you just don't know where you're at. On earth, I was your little Sharon Rose. Sharon, but, but you were a little baby. And there aren't any babies here, Daddy, though. She, she replied, we're all the same age. We're immortal. I said, honey, you're not Sharon. I said, yeah, some mother's up there waiting for you. Where's Billy Paul, my brother? And he said, I, he'll be coming soon. And Sharon said, I'm going to wait here for Billy Paul. Why don't you go on and see mother? She's waiting for you up at your new home. And as Brother Branham, and I'm just repeating some of the things that he said, he said, honey, I, I don't understand. He said, well, daddy, you just don't know where you're at. So, well, I, am I not on the prairie? And he said, no, you turned to your right and looked. And he said, he looked and he saw the most beautiful light that was coming out of the most beautiful place he'd ever seen and said, this is heaven, daddy. And mother's up there waiting for you. And I said, home? Said, at, at, in your home? Said, you mean I got a home? Honey, there was never a Branham ever rich and never had a home of their own. Well, at that present time, he, he rented a place that was a, what was called a shotgun house. And... Um, Called so because it was basically two rooms. If you shot a gun, it would shot, shoot all the way through the house, through every room in the house. And it had no toilet. It had no running water. It was, uh, it was just there, the minimum electricity, 
no doubt, either coal at all or, or um, the uh, uh, coal itself that would be burned in an old heater, and the, uh, uh, perhaps a wood heater. But anyway, here he'd never had a home before, and she pointed up the road, and there at the end of the trail was this beautiful mansion that was perched on the top of a hill. And it seemed as though the, the sunbeams just was just all around the mansion's roof and shot out in every direction, guiding weary travelers home to rest. And so he would walk from there up toward there to, uh, and he would sing, my home, sweet home. And a long stairwell led up to him from the bottom of the hill to the front door and, and hope waited there in an open door dressed in white with their long black hair unfurled to the breeze. And Brother Branham bounded up the stairway, taking probably three step, steps at a stride. And when he reached the landing, he, he fell at her or knelt at her feet and holding her hand. And she urged him to give up, to get up and said, he said, oh, hope, honey, I can't stand it no longer. I'm just about to go wild since you left. And she said, I've seen all that's went on, Bill. Promise me something. I, I want to stop there just for a moment. I've seen all that's went on. A lot of times, you know, we think of that other dimension, being a faraway place. But Brother Brenham said it was a slanted place. He said, I went into a slanted place about 12 feet above my head. And he said, I could look back and I could see my body. So standing there, he could see both realms. And, and I, as I rejoice today hearing of Joel Van Brannett in uh, there from Switzerland, he came to the meetings in Belgium and he's one of uh, Brother Joshua and Brother Isaiah Van Brannett's brothers. And he's been away from the Lord, but today he came back to the Lord and surrendered his life to Christ there in the meetings this morning. And I couldn't help but thinking of the scriptures where it says there is rejoicing in the presence of angels when one sinner repents. It didn't say that angels rejoice. They don't really know what it is to be lost. But it said in the presence of angels, there is rejoicing. The saints there rejoice. If you would read in the, under the fifth seal, you would see that those souls on the altar knew even what had happened to them and that they had been martyred. They knew also the conditions on the earth and that others were being martyred. And, and they, they conferred there in their prayer to God when they, when they asked for how long, how long will, you, will, you, will this go on? And he told them to rest a little while and give them white robes. And of course, we know those were Jewish believers who, who died for the testimony that they held. But I want to just get to, back to you. You said, I've seen all that's went on, Bill. And, you know, and so he said, Promise me something. Whoa, she said, Promise me something. What? Promise me you won't worry no more. And she said, You know, I've seen Sherry, honey. Didn't our girl make a beautiful woman? Said, Yes, she's waiting for Billy, isn't she? And said, Promise me, won't you, that you won't worry? Sharon, and I are much better off than you are. 
just promise me you won't worry. You've got to stop worrying about me. So, well, I can't help it. I've been so lonesome for you both. And Billy Paul cries for me, for you all the time. And I don't know what to do with them. Well, Sharon and I are far better off than you are. Promise me you won't worry about us anymore. And Hope put an arm around his shoulder and patted his back as she'd done so often on earth. And, and she, she said, come on in. You're tired, aren't you? said, you're so tired, you've been praying for the sick. And these are Brother Branham's words. And I hadn't prayed for the sick in those days. And that was the reason I know someday, I, I, I pass out here in the pulpit, friends. The other night when I was with you here, I passed completely out among you. I passed out as, for as many as 24 hours at a time. I know one of these nights I'm going, you know. He's trying to rationalize all of this, you know, understand what is happening. And he says, she said, Bill, you look so tired. You're wearing yourself out praying for the sick. said, I know all about it, Bill. Again, I want you to get it. I know all about it, Bill. Come inside with me, and now you can sit down and rest. And he walked with her inside the, the mansion and sat down on a green Morris chair, exactly like the one he'd lost to finance company because he couldn't make the payments. And Hope said, you remember that chair? A lump formed in his throat and said, yeah, how well I remember. I said, well, they won't take this one. It's paid for. I want to stop just for a minute. Heaven is a real place. There are real people there in real bodies. And there are things in heaven that look much like what is here on the earth. There are fields with great panoramic views, there are hills, there are valleys, there are mountains, there are rivers, there are parks with trees. I'm giving this to you from the Bible. There's all kinds of things that remind us of this world here in this shadow land. And things that we that comfort us here like this Morris chair that he talks about. They, they're there too. And he says, I'm going home where I got a chair to sit down to rest a little while. Come over there and I wish I could meet with every one of you over there. I believe there's a land beyond this here, beyond this veil of tears and sorrows and heartaches. I've preached day and night. I've stayed till eyes shut, shut crying. I've stand at the platform until they have to pack me out. Why? Because I tried to make up for the time that I lost back there. And so all of a sudden he feels himself going back. And he said, you're going back, Bill. Promise me you won't worry. And he said, just then I come into the room and it was dark and I could feel her arm around me patting me. And I heard her voice. I thought, oh, it can't be. It can't be. The vision's over. And I, I stood and I shook my head. I looked and her arm was still around me. And she was patting me and said, Billy, Promise me you won't worry no more. I, I promise hope. And she took her arm away, and that was all of it. I've never worried since. I tell you, brother, a real anchored faith in God can stand, take its stand upon the beaten rock of the rock of eternity and stand there and look off into the heavens when the waves and things are beaten against its bowels and look to him and say, I am the resurrection and life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Brother, it takes something here in the heart.
Now, as I, as I look at this for a moment, and of course, for many of you, I've went over this before, and maybe have done it even in the pulpit, but now that we are past the event, let me just bring it out again. My observations of the vision that, uh, that in 1965, when Brother Bradham left this mortal life, and just past the wreckage of his station wagon, the modern-day covered wagon, waited Sharon Rose to greet him. And this dream or vision that he was visiting there is immortal, but Sharon Rose was in a theophanic form. She was no longer an infant, but a grown woman. And those in theophanic form understand things that mortals do not. She recognized him. He did not recognize her. She told him, there aren't any babies here. Daddy, we're all the same age. We're immortal. And so, you know, she told him, said, you remember how you taught immortality, which he hadn't taught immortality that way at that time. This is very, very early in his ministry. And so, and then she also was waiting patiently for her brother, Billy Paul, to come. She knew that he would be coming, and she was waiting at that gateway between dimensions. Now, here's the facts. If we are alive in physical form in our corporal bodies when the Lord comes, those in theophanic form will appear to us, and we will unite and resurrect uh, are, uh, they will appear to us and will unite and resurrect and glorify their body. If we die, we go to join those that are in theophanic form. And Sharon Rose knew Billy would come to her. She was waiting for his arrival. Now, the vision showed us then that Brother Billy would go by the way of the grave, that the saints there were expecting his arrival. Now, so you see, with them expecting him, they knew he was coming. And I, I just want to say, even this moment that we're in, as we are now past that time where Brother Billy now has went there and he's had this reunion where Sharon Rose has met him and he's had re reunion with the rest of the family. I, I just want to say, God knew we would be here, even at this time. And so we know the vision is transpiring right around us right now. We're, we're, uh, so we're, we're not, we're not be beyond what God had planned. We're not in some kind of overtime or pastime. We're exactly where we're supposed to be in the vision. And so, you know, here we, we know now Brother Billy has met with um, Sister Sharon Rose. I, I want to just share with you the quotes from who is this Melchizedek, which I draw my understanding from, that when a man is born again from heaven, he becomes a spirit babe in Christ. And then when this robe of flesh is dropped, there's a natural body, theophany, a body not made with hand, neither born of a woman that we go to. And then that body returns back and picks up the glorified body. 
And then he goes on to say, 2 Thessalonians tells us that we will meet him in the air, a beautiful type of Rebecca meeting Isaac in the field in the cool of the day. We will meet him in the air, 2 Thessalonians tells us also, for we which are alive and remain shall not prevent or hinder those which are asleep, for the trumpet of God shall sound, the dead in Christ shall rise first. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. Perfect, all these types. Therefore, the theophany, if you have died and entered into that theophany, what happens? The theophany comes to the earth to pick up the redeemed body. And if you're here in the air, you take the body to meet the theophany. There you are, caught up, and go to meet the Lord in the air. So the vision is clear. It told us, if we had listened, that our precious brother Billy Paul would not be a part of those that are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord. And he has now preceded us as many others have before us. Now, of course, this comes to question. And, you know, I made some comments about this that I'm going to share with you. Many of you heard of the testimony where brother Billy Paul um, told was he was there in front of the May building in Los Angeles. And, um, and the, that his daddy told him that he would not be an old man when, um, when sharks would swim at the May building in Los Angeles. And I, I just want to just say to you, first of all, two things. We have, been, we have been absolutely adamantly told by Brother Branham, say what I said on tape. So, you know, there are many, many stories, many, many different ones, and, you know, many, many different ideas that come from these stories. But, you know, if you really want to know what he said, listen to the tape. If it isn't on tape, then put a big question mark on anything you hear. So, as, as to his daddy telling him um, that sharks would be swimming at the May building in Los Angeles, the account was not a part of the prophecy. And this is important because there's a difference between us as men speaking and God speaking. So, you know, we can speak and have the human desires and, uh, ex- you know, human expressions or we can, we can desire things to be or we can hope they're going to be or we can make presumptions and uh, presumptions, and Brother Branham said himself uh, many times, he said, now, I'm presuming here. That means I'm venturing without authority. So we know that as a human that he can do this. But I want you, I want to just take you to the service of the prophecy that was, took place in Los Angeles, California, 1965, on April the 29th. It was on the evening, I believe this was at a full gospel businessmen's meeting. And, you know, the Holy Spirit was moving in a tremendous way. And Brother Branham is speaking here under the anointing of the Spirit of God. I want you to listen to the actual prophecy. I don't have nothing to do with it. 
and see in God's mirror, not your church mirror, in God's mirror, and see if you could qualify in your life the spiritual bride of Jesus Christ. Ministers think the same. Do you cut corners here to save somebody's feelings over you? Would you do this if it wasn't, if they put you out of the church? If you are feeling that way, my dear brother, let me warn you in the name of Jesus Christ, flee from that right now. And lady, if you can't measure up to the qualification of a Christian, not as a nominal Christian, but in your heart, and your life is patterned exactly like God's marriage certificate, your session has to be. And church member, if your church isn't like that, can measure up to God's qualification of His Word, get out of it and get into Christ. That's solemn warning. We don't know what time, and you don't know what time that this city one day is going to be laying out here at the bottom of this ocean. Oh, Capernaum, said Jesus, thou who exalted into heaven will be brought down into hell. For if the mighty works have been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, it has been standing to this day. And Sodom and Gomorrah lays in the bottom of the Dead Sea, and Capernaum's in the bottom of the sea. Thou city who claims to be the city of the angels, who's exalted yourself into heaven and sent all the dirty, filthy things, the fashions and things, to even the foreign countries come here and pick up our filth and send it away. Through your fine churches and steeples and so forth the way you remember, one day you will be laying in the bottom of the sea. You're a great honeycomb under you right now. The wrath of God is belching right beneath you. How much longer you hold this sandbar hanging over that, when that ocean out under a mile of evil slide in there, come back to the salt and sea? <coughs> It'll be worse than the last day of Pompeii. Repent, Los Angeles. <coughs> Repent the rest of you and turn to God. The hour of his wrath is upon the earth. Flee while there's time to flee and come into Christ. Let us pray, dear God. But in my spirit is shaking. My heart is dropping teardrops of warning. Grant, oh God, that men and women will not think of what I've said as a joke. And the church people will not think of it as something that was prejudiced or against them. May they see, Lord, it's in love. Thou bearest me, Reverend Almighty God, and up and down this coast I went year after year proclaiming your word. Bear me, Reverend O God, if you would have to not have told the truth. Thou knowest this vision of the bride is the truth. I took your name by it, Lord, and said it was thus said, Lord. And I feel it, I'm conscious, Lord, of what I'm doing. So I pray thee, Lord, in Jesus' name, let people shake themselves tonight and flee from the wrath that is to come.
you can see, this prophecy never did speak of Brother Billy Paul and sharks at all, but this was a conversation they had with his dad the days in the, in the, the following days as they stood near the May building in Los Angeles. And my best recollection, recollection was that he asked Brother Billy, he said, Billy, where are you standing? He said, well, I'm in Los Angeles, California. And he said, he wanted him to be more specific. He asked him again, said, Billy, where are you standing? And this time his answer was more complete. He said, I'm standing in front of the May building in Los Angeles, California. And to this response, Brother Branham said, you won't be an old man when sharks will swim here. Now, of course, after Brother Branham's death, you know, Brother, Brother Billy hung on to every thread of hope of his dad, dad's return and adamantly told around the world that he was not an old man, even when in fact he was. And of course, he, the older he got, the more he was open to question and ridicule. He told me privately, um, after I had discussed this with the church and the clip was sent to him, he sent me an email and he said, this is the, the, the thing that I'm asked most often is this question. And he said, I don't know what to say other than daddy said it. And I, I, you know, I just posed the question, was this a father trying to get his son to understand the seriousness of the hour and his belief that an earthquake would happen in Los Angeles in, in days, if not months, or even a year? We don't know. We just know Brother Billy has now passed away at 88 years of age. But sometimes things happen in a way we don't expect. And, and of course, no, Los Angeles is not laying in the belly of the sea. But what about the sharks that are swimming at the May building? It was in 1970. And in those years, in that decade, that brother Charlie Spencer and his wife was listening to Paul Harvey News. And Paul Harvey was one who told the news in an interesting way and sometimes it was humorous, unusual events that were not often reported in the mainstream media. In this particular report, they heard him say there had been an earthquake in that Los Angeles area and that sharks had been seen swimming there near the May building. Now, this same report was confirmed also by a brother who attends Brother Jason Watkins' church. His sister worked in the May building and a memo had been issued from management not to go uh, in certain areas there, but sharks had been seen swimming there. So, you know, um, things can happen in ways that you don't even realize. And Brother Billy wouldn't have been an old man in 1971. When, when this earthquake, uh, which was, there was a reported earthquake during that time. But, you know, whether they were in the drainage ditch or where, the, where they was, I don't know. I don't know all the, the situation. I'm just giving you the report. You know, two witnesses reported they had heard the news or another had received a memo working there at the May building. So things can happen in ways that you don't even expect. But nevertheless, even if it, even if it did or didn't happen, it's not even a part of the prophecy. It's just a father speaking to a son, telling him uh, that he 
believed that it would happen in his lifetime, that it would be an event that would happen within maybe days, months, if not a year. But of course now we're many years past that. But that doesn't mean it won't come to pass. Sometimes God's wheels of prophecy, they grind slow but sure, but they finally get there. And they come in ways a lot of times you do not expect. And even though that the vision tarries, uh, it causes the prophet then to be mocked. And I just want to say today that we understand the vision, that the vision um, or the, the prophecy told us about Los Angeles, said nothing about sharks swimming at the May building. That's a testimony of a son speaking about something that his father said to him, and we don't even know why that he said it or what the circumstances was. It could have been to get a young man to realize the seriousness of life and the seriousness of the hour and to, to step up in his walk with God. Now, today we're going to go from that as I wanted to cover that in this first part, you know, uh, and, and now we're going to move beyond that as I go into my sermon today. And I'm going to be speaking on the birth pains of a nation. And uh, as you know, I repeated to you the vision Brother Branham had of coming down. Looked like he was coming down the map of Palestine and he was coming to the Jordan. And he could hear a song being sung that was saying, I'm going down to, to the Jordan. So, you know, this would help identify where he was at by the song and and he said as I drew near the river I looked back and seen the way that I'd come and I was two-thirds of the way there to the Jordan and he said I looked across Jordan and I said praise God just on the other side is where all the promises lay every promise lays in the promised land now of course he wasn't talking about Israel and Palestine but he was talking about the promised land that we possess, which is in the Holy Ghost. That is our promised land. And of course, it includes all of the word of God. He would go on to the end of that and he would explain it even a little more and said, let's cross over now because it all belongs to us. The visions have never failed because they come from God and you know, we across Jordan, the separation, God break to us the seals that's on the back of the book. Let us enter into this great place now for Joshua divided to the people their inheritance that God has left for them. So again, he, he shows us what it means. He said, you can see now what, it, what coming down to Jordan meant, that we're coming down to the breaking of the seals or the opening of the book or the opening of the promised land to the people of God. And this has brought us to a great land that the Holy Ghost has divided for us. It is our inheritance and we cannot deny or reject or refuse any part of it. And neither can we afford to let any devil camp upon it. But after possessing it, we will also have to defend our borders. It is not enough to possess some of it. 
You see, we must possess it all. This is the age where you just can't just get a part like justification or sanctification or just, just a, you know, a part of holiness or part of this. It, the whole word, the whole land must be ours. And we must possess every promise. It's not enough to possess uh, understanding of the seals being open, and yet you're lacking holiness. It is not enough to possess holiness then and deny that the seven seals have been opened. You see, it all must be embraced. It is a whole land, and we must possess every promise that lays in that land, and we must defend our land. I want you to understand, it's not just enough to possess it. You must hold it. You see, Israel today is in a fight for their life, and so are we. I just uh, heard uh, 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 Netanyahu say, the prime minister of Israel said, this is our second independence war. And we will fight on the land, the air from the sea. We will fight on the ground and under the ground. And in this war, we stand together. This is the fight of our life. Well, they'd already had one war for independence, but now they're having to have a second war for independence. And and we understand here we're coming down to this time where we're at, and I feel like the same. That is, you know, we're, we're here in a fight for our life. We're here in a time where that we must, we must realize this is for our independence. This is for our freedoms. This is for us to possess our land. Every promise that lays in the book. Now, Brother Brandon, and I quoted this to you the last time I spoke, but I want to bring it back to your forefront again, to your memory. He spoke a Thanksgiving service in Shreveport, Louisiana, called the Invisible Union of the Bride. And it was this Thanksgiving service to, to, to thank God for what we have. And he said that the, the, the Pilgrim Fathers were very thankful for their newfound way of life being separated from the old English denominations and creed that they could marry to the new anointed word for their day. That's right, the new anointed word for their day. And we can be thankful as pilgrims like Abraham separated ourselves from the things of the world and all of our associates. Abraham was a pilgrim. God has separated us from all dead religions I'm speaking across the nation now. All the dead creeds and to to what separated us and opened to us a new land, a new message for this day. So we we understand the message is a new land. Amen. Now Israel coming out of Egypt was birthed into a new land as a nation. They left Egypt. And they were justified by faith. And then they were sanctified in the Red Sea. And then they were birthed into a new land. The land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Their stages of their journey is parallel or similar to the church. Justification by faith. Sanctification and then birth into the land of the Holy Ghost. You see, the land, that land of the Holy Ghost 
message that landed the apostles, Peter, John, and Paul. And this is similar to the birth of every believer. Every believer comes through the same journey. The Bible said in 1 John 5 and 7, for these three bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Understand, these three are one. There's not three gods. These are one. You can't have the Father without having the Son, who is the Word. And you can't have the Son without having the Holy Ghost. They are one. And you can't separate them into three. They are one. But then verse 8 says, Then there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. Now, they're not one, but they agree in one. It takes the water, the blood, and the spirit to agree or to make up one birth. You see, but you can be justified without being sanctified. And you can be sanctified without being spirit-filled. But you cannot be spirit-filled and not have been justified and sanctified. It takes all three to make one new birth. Now, to explain to that, you must repent of your sins and have them forgiven, that's justification. You must be sanctified and then cleansed from filthy habits. You cannot be born again or spirit-filled and still smoke or dope or drink or snort or chew or watch porn or, or, and deny holiness. Because without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. That's Hebrews 12, 14. So you see, so it is in the spiritual realm, is water, justification by faith, Believing on God, receiving him as your personal savior, and being baptized. Second is sanctification of the spirit, that God cleanses the spirit from all the elements of the world and desires of the world. And then the Holy Spirit comes in and gives a new birth and fills up that sanctified vessel. Truly, you're not really born again till you get the Holy Ghost. You're just in the process of believing unto now, so Brother Bradham used for instance or an example. He said a glass laying out in the chicken yard. You don't just pick that up and put it on your table and fill it up with water or milk. No, you by picking it up is justification. You look at it, hey, that's one of mama's dishes. That's one of, that's one of some of our best that we, we have. Look here, this is a worthy cup. Oh, it's dirty, it's filthy. It's out here in the chicken yard. But then you cleanse it. You take it in and you wash it. Washing is, uh, sanctification is washing because the Greek word means, is a compound word which means cleanse and set apart for service. It's not in service. It's just set apart. You can wash it up, go take it back out in the chicken pen again. Get it just as dirty and filthy all over again. This is a problem with many, many people around the message. They go as far as repentance, get baptized in water, and they quit their smoking or their doping or this or that. And after a while, the same old evil spirit that caused them to do it in the first place comes back again and is worse than it was at the beginning. Back out in the chicken pen they go. And it brings, a, it brings a great discredit. It looks like the gospel doesn't work. But if you'll ever get sealed to the day of redemption, amen, if you'll ever get put in service, in service, you're not in a chicken pen. In service, you're filled with the Holy Ghost. 
service, you're sealed to the day of redemption. And there's a difference. But you see, this is where many have walked up to even in the message. They've come that far like the Pilgrim Holiness did or the Nazarene. They walked right up even to to Pentecost. He said, you were cleansed by sanctification. But when you were ready to be put in service by gifts of speaking in tongues and other things, you turned that down and dropped back into the pen again. Now that's what happens. So you see, you know why? Because without the Holy Ghost, you're going to fall back into the mire of sin. Now, the natural types, the spiritual. I'm going to get into my subject now as we lay the background. The natural types, the spiritual. When a baby is born, of course, you know, the the water breaks. But the baby isn't born yet. It's coming near the time of birth. There again, so there's water, blood, spirit. Jesus said in John 3 and 3, He answered and said unto Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 4, Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? How can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Verse 5, And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So now watch natural typing the spiritual. When the water breaks... The baby isn't born. And just repentance and water baptism is not enough. And that's been the problem that we have faced over and over and over again. We get somebody, you know, to receive the formula of baptism and see that's the way to be baptized. And they repent of their sins and they get baptized. That's not enough. You're not born again yet. You've got to be cleansed. You know, we, 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 then comes the blood. And by the blood, we are sanctified. But there can be water and blood and yet no life yet. And as it's being born, the breath of life has to come in and fill those lungs. And Brother Branham used this in, in the message, birth pains. He said, but in order to get life in the baby, you got to give him a spanking and make him yell out. Somehow or another, we got it around in our thoughts that the new birth has no feeling, no expression. This is never Brother Branham's teaching. All the way down to 1965, all the way from his earliest sermons all the way through, he warned us against stillborn babies. Babies who were never received life. The manifestation of the resurrection, he speaks of this. He said, you know where Jesus, when Je- where Jesus is there, there's always a little noise, a little upsetting. Why? Life comes in. It brings noise. If a baby is born, it doesn't cry, it's dead. That's, that's what's the matter with the church tonight. We need some more weeping, breaking up in our services. When Israel travailed, children was born. When the church travails, children will be born. You know, again, you say, but Brother Tim, I, I have asked for the Holy Ghost and I hadn't got it. Well, go back and look and see, have you been willing to deal with sin? Have you 
finally repented? And is it just a a dry-eyed confession or is it out of the depths of sincerity? Where is this coming from? Is it something I know I need to do to get a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Or is it something I know I need to do to be socially accepted in this church? Well, what is it? No, you have to go back and you have to look at your experience. And you have to say, God, have I fully surrendered everything? Have I fully yielded to you? Have I fully given over these things in my life? Let you sanctify it and cleanse it. Listen again. He said in the resurrection, he said, now baby is born. A baby is born, still birth. You, you know what's the matter with the baby. The baby's born dead. And that's what's the matter with a whole lot of stillborn children in these formal churches today. You're born dead. You got a conception, but you never receive life. What to do with a baby like that is pick him up by the heels and give him a little posterior protoplasma stimulation. I tell you, he comes alive right quick. And if there's anything the church needs today is a good old-fashioned Holy Ghost spanking by the hand of God, pouring out his power, it'll make the church come to life. Now, it might be seem flat, but that's the truth. You'll spank him a little bit and he'll let out a squall crying. In the message, birth pains again, he says, and you take a, a little, some kind of a shock Maybe I wouldn't have to spank him, just shock him a little. The very idea of him being born sometimes will do it. Grab him, shake him. He don't start breathing, spank him a little. And then he yells out in unknown tongues to himself, I guess. And he, anyhow, he's making a noise. And I think if a baby is born just by stillbirth with no sound, no emotion, that's a dead baby. And that's what's the matter with the church today, the system. We got too many stillborn children. That's right. They need a gospel spanking. You see, so to wake them up and to bring them to themselves so God can breathe the breath of life into them. We know that's so. It's crude theology, but it's the truth anyhow. Again, he would say if a baby's born and it doesn't cry or do something, the baby's dead. We got too many Dead-born babies in the church tonight. That's what's the matter with the church. It doesn't, it just doesn't understand. It has never come to life. You know what they do with a little baby when it's born? I've been, I've watched them born. The doctor picks him up, gives him a little posterior protoplasma stimulation, wakes him up right quick, and he goes to squalling. If there's anything the Pentecostal church needs tonight is a good old-fashioned gospel spanking to wake them up again. The little thing gets some starch out of them. Amen. Someone said, Brother Branham, are you holding a meeting down there where the people are screaming, carrying on? I said, yes, sir. I said, don't, don't you think that's fanaticism? I said, no, sir. There's nobody in the world believes in any old time or old time shouting and blessings and praising God than I do. I believe that. I believe when a baby is born, it don't move, it don't whimper, it don't do nothing. You know what the doctor has to do. He picks him up by the heels and gives him a little spanking. He gives a little breath in him. And I think that's what's the matter with the church tonight. When people say, I'm born again, you know what it is. It's a stillborn, dead baby. It needs a little gospel spanking once in a while that'll wake it up and get it to whining and crying. That's right, get some life in it. That's what we need tonight. That's what the church needs. And then getting straight on the right path. Now, you might
I wonder, what in the world is a gospel spanking? It must be a scolding or bawling out from the pulpit. I want you to understand, it's not discipline. I want you to look at your neighbor because you're really quiet on me today. And I want you to look at him and say, it's not discipline. Okay, you got that now. You see, instead it's the action of the great physician with the power of God that stimulates us to believe. Amen. And as you believe and as you breathe, amen, you squat out. So, you know, don't get in a, you know, a lot of times, you know, oh, glory to God, we're going to get the church needs a good gospel spanking. You think you're going to get a scolding or hiding. That's not what God's doing. He is sending a charge of stimulation of the power of God to bring an awakening in the church so that stillborn babies will take a breath. What kind of breath? Eternal life. The Holy Ghost. Now, that's the individual. Well, then what about the bride who is pregnated with the word? I'll tell you what, we got to, I'm sorry, we got turned a lot of this into dead creeds, into dead words. Amen. But we need a good gospel spanking, not a scolding, not a hiding, not a beating, but a stimulation of the power of God that makes that word live again. You see, she has to bring forth life by the Spirit. The bride, too, is in birth pain to bring back the Son of God. The world is in birth pains to bring forth a new earth. And it's not going to do it quietly. No. It'll happen for the millennium. It'll happen again for the new heavens and the new earth. Brother Bradham explained to us, the world is in birth pains. And what you're seeing that is taking place even in the world right now is birth pains. Amen. It's signs that there's, there's, there's coming a, a millennium, a new earth. That this one is dying and it's, it's rotten. He would take and compare it to seed and he said the seed has to get rotten. Before the light comes out of it. And as it dies, new light comes out. And we're living in a dying world. With a dying society. With a dying nation. And we're just on the cusp of total destruction for a new earth. Now, with the first world war, it went through its first birth pains. You know, birth pains come most of the time light to start off with in comparison to the, the final push. And then that first world war, the first woe, they invented a mass killer that would blanket the entire area. I, I'm not sure all of the chemistry of it was mustard gas, chlorine gas, whatever that would, would go and, 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 and what they would do with it is just saturate a whole area 
with this gas and everything that, that was gas there would die. And people would fear that to the point of they believed that the world, this would cause winds to blow it across the earth and it wouldn't just kill people locally but would be in thousands. But of course it didn't happen as they thought it would but this was the fear. And then as the pains become greater in the second woe, as World War II ended with the horrible pains of a, an atomic bomb that destroyed entire cities, actually would evaporate, you know, just in a moment's time, entire cities of, 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 of Hiroshima and Nagasaki in Japan would cause them to surrender because they had nothing. They had nothing to counter it. And they realized now it would be the destruction of the entire Japanese uh, uh, lands because of this. And so you, you see, it was great birth pains. And now we are in the thresholds of the last woe, the third woe. The last world war is right now upon us. Oh, yeah. They are warning today that, you know, even in the news, that there's a new front containing Russia and China and Iran together as a new front with all the Arabs nations that they can gather to come against the West. And they are warning there that we are being pulled into another world war. It's going to happen, church. Amen. Maybe it seems like it won't, but, you know, maybe it seems like it's just went a long time, like the California earthquake we were talking about, that it's made its time, but it'll happen. And the destruction of the world is about to happen in your lifetime. Now, I'm not in front of the May building and saying to you, you know, you know, trying to warn you. I'm just saying signs of the time. Look where we're at. Never has there been in the hands of man the, the capabilities now. America alone has enough bombs to destroy the world 10 times over. Russia has twice that many. We're entering the last threshold of the woe or into the threshold of the last woe. As they look at it and they contemplate what will happen, Washington, D.C. will probably been hit in the first wave of attacks. From there, as counterforce evolves into countervalue, Russian missiles would begin targeting larger cities, including New York, Chicago, Houston, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. During the peak of, the, of energy output, one megaton bomb, one megaton nuclear weapon can produce temperatures of 100 million degrees Celsius at its center. About four to five times that which occurs at, uh, times that which occurs at the center of the sun. Nine countries possess nuclear weapons that we know about. United States, Russia, France, 
China, United Kingdom, Pakistan, India, Israel, and North Korea. Malachi 4, the very, the very scripture that tells us that Elijah would come. Before the earth was smote with a curse. You know, to call out a remnant for his namesake. That very scripture opens up with verse 1. said, for the day cometh that shall burn as an oven. And all the proud and yea that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts. That shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name. Is there anybody here that fears, that reverences his name? Amen. Shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stone. Hallelujah. Amen. There's going to be a people rise up in that day. Who will go forth, mature people, a mature elect bride. Because they reverence his name. And ye shall tread down the wicked. For they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. In the day that I shall do this. Saith the Lord of hosts. Let's turn our eyes to Israel for a moment in the scripture. Zechariah 12 and verse 2. Give me verse 1 to begin with. Zechariah 12, verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretches forth the heavens, layeth the foundation of the earth, and formeth the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about, when they shall be in siege both against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that day I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. Think of this. A burdensome stone. You know, here, here's the thing that troubles the whole world at the moment. That they're all burdened. It's a, it's a, it's a sore in our world today of what is happening in the Middle East. And he said, and all that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the world or the people of the earth be gathered together against it. Look down at verse 8. In that day the Lord shall defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he that's feeble among them at that day shall be as David, and the house of David shall be as God, as the angel of the Lord before him. And I, in that day I will... It shall come to pass in that day I will seek to destroy all nations that come against Jerusalem. Oh, God, grant it. Amen. Come on, church. Stop a moment as we're saying amen to that. And I want you to say, as you look, you realize this bride is a burdensome stone. She is the spiritual Jerusalem. And she's a burdensome stone to all the world. To Satan and all his kingdom. Those little fanatics. Those little holy roller men and women. That believe in holiness and righteousness. That stands against the evil of the day. Against abortion and genocide. And 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 assisted suicide. And all the other evils of the world. She's a burdensome stone. But I want you to understand in that day. 
I will seek to destroy all nations that come against her. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the houses, inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. And they will look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourning for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for his firstborn. So there we see Israel will turn and recognize the one that they have pierced. You know, here's the thing. You know, here's the problem with the, with the Gentiles even right now. They don't recognize that the word that they are crucifying is the only word that can save them. But you have looked upon him who your own sins sent to Calvary. Amen. You have received pardon and you have received grace. Hallelujah. Now, verse 12 of chapter 14. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord shall smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand on their feet. Their eyes shall consume away in their holes. Their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. Nuclear destruction. The Bible said it would happen. We are here. We are here. Peter said, and I'm quoting this from Future Home. Peter said, the heavens will pass away and earth with a great noise. Such an explosion will rock it because it's going to kill every disease, every thistle, every thorn, everything that's be done, the fire will burn it up. And it's not together just a literal fire, it's also a holy fire. We'll take Satan, all of, his, all of his devils, both heaven and earth, amen, will pass away, killing all the germs and insects and all natural life around it. Even the H2O, the water will, will explode. Think of it. Talk about a noise. I know some of this is the new Jerusalem to come on the other side of the millennium, but I also want you to understand the world is about to see the birth of another world. Well, we will walk out on the ashes of the wicked. Now, Brother Brandon said, you think about a little noise out here in Tucson that was something when he opened the six seals that shook the round, country round about and caused the talk, wait until this earth receives her baptism. And you know when a man receives the baptism of fire, there's a lot of noise around there. They think it's a shame to hear people scream and shout like that. Just wait until the earth gets her baptism. So Brother Branham compared the baptism of fire on the earth and the explosion that takes place and the noise that takes place there with the, with the spiritual birth of a believer. That when you are born again, a lot of noise takes place. Amen. And it eradicates sin. It eradicates habits. It eradicates, come on church, every kind of evil. It makes you a new earth for God to dwell in. Think about that. Like I preached two Sundays ago. We have arrived. We have crossed over. 
from that inspiration. You've heard Brother Joe and Brother Aaron both preach this sermon. But I want you just to remember that after seven church ages, after leaving the Egypt of Catholicism, where we sojourned like Israel in a strange land with pagan gods, the churches journeyed through the wilderness of Protestantism and coming through justification of Luther and Wesley, sanctified in the Red Sea. We come up to Cadiz Barnea and tasted of the Holy Ghost with Azusa Street. It was a taste. But I wanted to say we're back in the land of the Bible. We are walking now where the apostles trod. And the fruits have been amazing. So many got to taste of it. Unfortunately, many of them just went back camping in the wilderness. Built another camp out there. You know, as I was preparing for this sermon, I come across some things. Brother Billy Paul spoke of the deliciousness of this wonderful fruit of this land. I want you just to, I want you just to salivate with me for a moment about its deliciousness. And this testimony told of one miracle of this good land that has seldom been witnessed, but it's there. In fact, of the many miracles he had seen, he said none were quite like this one. It was a little girl that came in the prayer line who had no eyes. All she had was two little slits in her cheek with skin over it. There were no eyeballs. Brother Branham looked at the child and said, Sweetheart, you don't have any eyeballs. Do you believe what Brother Branham spoke about? You know, he was told by the angel, if you can get the people to believe, nothing will stand before your prayers. He said, yes. He said, you believe if I pray for you that Jesus will give you eyeballs? She said, yes. And he said, everybody put your head down. Brother Billy testified everybody did but me because I wanted to see it. I'd never seen nothing like, like this in all the miracles. And yet he'd seen miracles, unimaginable miracles. He'd seen a man who was walking like a dog on all fours on his hands and knees. And he watched Brother Branham as he took the chain around the man's neck and raised him up. While every bone snapped and crackled and popped and straightened and went, went into place as he commanded him to stand in the name of Jesus Christ and walk normal. But he'd never seen nothing like this. Just a slit in the cheeks. And Brother Branham prayed, Lord Jesus, creating these eyeless sockets, two perfect eyes. Brother Billy said, I'm a witness to you. I, I guess that's why well, I kept my head up so I could tell you this. I, I saw a streak come down and go into that socket and Two crystals form. I saw it with my own eyes. Two crystals form. Two perfectly normal eyeballs. Brother Branham stopped in the middle of his prayer and said to the little girl, said, little girl, I forgot to ask you, what color do you want your eyes? 
So while I heard that blue was beautiful, I said, Lord Jesus, give her the most beautiful blue eyes. And out of that streak came a blue eye and another blue eye into each socket. And she had two perfectly normal, beautiful blue eyes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Makes me want to speak in other tongues. Then she is our homeland. And in it is amazing fruit. It's delicious. And there's more that you have not discovered. You say, well, how could that even be possible to create eyeballs? Listen, if God created the first eyeballs, God can create the second. This is the land of our fathers. This is the land where Jesus walked. This is a land where when a man came to him without eyeballs and he spat in the ground and with his muddy spittle rolled him a couple of balls out of dust and stuck it into two empty sockets and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. The fruits of these lands is not new. It's simply new to us, but it's the original word the true gospel that had been lost. And this is only just showing his power. Amen. I just say to you today, it's, he can do exceeding abundantly above that which you're able to think or even ask. This is a God who does impossible things that you cannot even think about glorious and wondrous of what he can do. This is the kind of God that will take little fragments of dust and bring them out of the dungs of lions and bears or tigers or whatever else that have been in the arenas. And there they were eaten and, and there become dung on the earth and God take them there and bring them back again. And there the theophany glorify it and step into it. We've returned to the land of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. To the land of our fathers, Peter, James, John, and Paul. The world is positioned exactly where it's supposed to be. Israel is exactly where it's supposed to be. This second war for independence is exactly what's supposed to happen. And we too are in a fight for our life. We can look at the Sodom condition. We can look at the White House flying its pride flag and the president declaring we're a pride nation. They're giving voice to Sodom, giving voice to to the LGBT. And as they say, we're coming after your children. Well, you're going to have to go in a rapture to get them because we ain't leaving a hoof behind. You would get them. You would destroy them. But I tell you, God promised, I am going to rapture a church out of here and I'm going to take the people into glory. I'm not leaving them behind. They're going to escape the things that are coming up on the earth. 
because they were accounted worthy to stand before the Son of Man and let the Word judge them now so they don't have to go through the judgment of tribulation. I tell you right now, let the Word judge your sin. Let it call out your unrighteousness. Let it call out your wicked living. Whatever, let the Lord do it now and purge you now so you don't have to go through the tribulation for purging. Because all will be purged. You can get the purging of the Holy Ghost and let the fire of God burn sin out. Amen. Until it is no more. Amen. Or you can wait and wait around here and, and what will you see? You'll go through the tribulation for purging. Your choice. You see... We're not the only ones coming to our zenith or to our crowning point. The world is about to crown Satan as king of the earth. He will reign. Satan will reign for a short season. But the church, the true bride is also at her zenith. She's at her crowning point. Do you realize Today that you are God's crowning achievement. What he always longed to achieve, what he wanted in every age was a spotless bride. He had it at Pentecost and she fell away and defiled her garment. But there is a people in this day predestinated not to fall. You are his crowning achievement. That he'll lift up before Satan as, he, as we meet him in the air. And he'll lift her up before the world and take her away. And away she'll go with him. She has to be exactly like the pure bride she was at Pentecost. Before the fall at Nicaea. And the vision speaks. That in this last day, there is another people in the land who under their messenger are the final voice to the final age. Listen, Brother Branham, right here in Shreveport, Louisiana, you can still go by the life tabernacle. You can look at the buildings on the side where, where Anna Jean would type out the first newsletters. Well, the typeset was made for the book, A Man Sent from God. Where they would declare, Bible days are here again. And I want to just declare to you, Bible days are not over. Amen. He's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still God, and he still heals. Amen. I say that right now in the face of where two of Brother Branham's children have now died of cancer. Where we laid a precious one, Sister Erica, to rest the other day. Where our brother Ron is fighting for the battle of his life. But I want to still declare we have not lost. We have not lost. And we will not stop preaching that Jesus Christ healed. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But now. There is a resolve within our hearts like never before. As Brother Branham would look at cross-eyed children 
And not one of them would pass him by without being straightened because of what the devil did to his child. I'm telling you, it's time for the bride of Christ to get that same resolve. Brother Branham in the early days named his magazine The Voice of Healing to share testimonies of the wonderful miracles that were happening. That magazine no longer exists. It's not needed. For now the bride of Christ is the voice of healing. Let me just start with it just for a moment. We can work from there. Some of the greatest healing miracles of this message are you. Let me say it again. Some of the greatest healing miracles of this message are you. John Lay, Marie, Jonathan Middleton. Justin Ware, who the Lord pulls out in the middle of the night in your pajamas. He brings you to an altar. Your life has never been the same. You're one of the greatest healing miracles. Laura. Loretta. You're one of the greatest healing miracles, Aaliyah. God has taken wretched, bent, emotionally crippled human beings and gave them a new heart, changed their spirit and their attitude and healed them from their sins so completely that the spirit now abides in them. They are trophies. And they are voices of healing and voices of miracles. We are the voice of healing. We're the voice of miracles. We're the voice of deliverance. We're the voice of holiness. Everywhere you go, brothers, sisters, your holiness speaks. Even down to you, William, going to class just to get your, your hunting permit, your training for it. And the, and, and the guy says, where does he go to school? Well, he's homeschooled. No wonder, said, what a wonderful young man, so different from all the rest. What is it your holiness is speaking? What about you, your sister, you brother, you may never preach a sermon in your life, but you're preaching a sermon everywhere that you go. Your life is a sermon. It's displaying a miracle. You're the voice of miracles. Voice of holiness. Holiness is more than the way you dress. Holiness is is there. You don't smoke. You don't drink. You don't commit adultery. You're not in pornography. You're, You're clean. You've been cleansed. It's the voice of holiness. You're the voice of mercy. And you're the voice of judgment. We must give voice 
Look at Israel. They've been attacked. Children. Children beheaded in front of their parents. And then the parents slaughtered. CT scans where they're burnt into such unrecognizable condition and find two spines. Spines of a mother holding a baby, a child. Mothers burned with their babies. Women raped. Raped until their pelvic bones broken. So brutal. So satanic. Old. Young. Israel has defended their land. And they're trying to eradicate those demons. But let me stop for a moment. Those same demons. Brother Branham described them as the spirits coming from Euphrates. 200 million supernatural chargers. And they come against Israel in a physical manner. And they're coming against you in a spiritual manner. These are merciless Horrible beast. And Israel defending their land, trying to eradicate those demons. Whose voice now is being heard in the streets? Whose voices are being heard all through the streets of Europe? Whose voices are being heard in in our cities? The voice of the wicked. Whose voice is being heard in our colleges? The voice of evil. The voice of Sodom perversion. The voice saying and holding up Palestinian flags and saying, you know, we're we're gonna cleanse you and push you to the sea. Meaning there will be no more Israel. So much as a hatred, so much as a venom. And Brother Branham told us it seems spirit is against you. It comes in ecclesiastical manner. It wants to take the rejoicing and the shadow of the church. It wants to keep babies from being born. It wants to kill them as soon as they're born. It wants to destroy the church. It wants to take victory out of the house of God. I'm telling you. As I ended my sermon two Sundays ago, there is another people in the land. And they too are in pain to be delivered. The bride is expecting the coming of the groom. Why would Brother Branham tell us that the bride was pregnated with the word if there wasn't going to be a birth? Come on, somebody. Amen. And we 
Christ. Brother Branham preached birth pains into churches and birth pains. And out of her would come a, a bride and out of her would come an antichrist. Just as the tribe of Judah came forth, Jesus, Jesus and Judah, out of, out of the church comes the bride of Christ and the Antichrist. They're both religious. The last sign before the birth of the bride is the word coming to a prophet. And then out of the word is birthed the bride. And we've seen in the vision. We've been seeing in the vision that she has to be that same kind of bride. The same kind built out of the same kind of material that she was in the first place. And he says, now read Malachi 4 and see if we're not supposed to have a message in the last day. That it turned the hearts of the children back to the fathers. Back to the original Pentecostal message. Word by word, brothers, we are here the sign of the son of man the fullness of the word was a great great birth pains now I want to just go real quick for a moment because you know you're living in a time where people are giving tribute to God and, the, and Isaiah 29, 13 sums it up, said, Wherefore saith the Lord, for as much as his people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their hearts from me and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. <clears throat> so you know people have been taught to give a nod to God. Politicians talk about God. Church members talk about God. But they draw nigh with their mouth and with their lips they honor him. But their heart, the heart is far. That's why we live in such a religious nation. This nation gives a gives a lip service to God. Lip service. But their heart is an evil heart. And let me just say, Brother Branham tells us, he said, but the message has been going on for 15 years. There's been no organization from it. said the shuck was the last. We're at the end. And that's why there will be no move of God beyond this. This message is the last move of God which will crescendo in the resurrection and the rapture. And I just want to say no prophet who rises, no prophet's son who rises, no kingdom builder will be successful. God will not bless it. It will crumble. Because there's nothing beside this. So you see the birth pains Brother Brandon said, what's the matter? Just a remnant will be brought out. And that's why I'm crying and straining and pushing and laying aside every favor of man to find favor with God and just moving on his word. Galatians 4, 19, my little children of whom I travail in birth again to be, till Christ be formed in you. So she's in pain. 
He said, that's what's the matter. She's going to give birth. There's handwriting on the wall. Now, I'm just going to take the next few minutes. You know, we don't have but one service. And, and yeah, I'm taking full advantage. But I want you to just look how close we are to the fulfillment of the vision. I want you to help me check them off. 1933, Brother Branham received seven continuous visions. Benito Mussolini will invade Ethiopia and take it. The poor country will fall at his steps. Italy will then try to invade other countries but will fail. And Mussolini himself will come to a disgraceful end. Check. From Germany, the young Austrian Adolf Hitler will draw the world into war. America, too, will go to war. And in the process, Franklin Roosevelt will be elected to the fourth term as president. Germany will fortify herself behind an extensive wall of concrete. And America will pay a tremendous price in lives to break through this wall. But Germany will be defeated and Hitler will come to a mysterious end. Check. Then he would see Europe spreading out as a map before him. He saw national borders altering and reforming into new political sections. The voice said there are three political ideologies struggling for dominance in the world today. Fascism, Nazism, and Communism. The first two will come to nothing, but Communism will, flush, will flourish. Watch Russia, the king of the north. Check. Tremendous advances in technology sweeping over the globe. Among other marvels, he saw cars with streamlined curves like eggs. <laughs> they didn't even have a word to, dis- to define that until now. We have the word now. It's called aerodynamics. Yeah. Traveling down the road in an elaborate highway system. <sighs> they didn't have no such system as we have today. He even saw a car without a driver electronically guided itself down the road. Check. Then he saw women with long hair and wearing long dresses marching with packards demanding the right to vote. When the, that right was granted, he saw them elect a young man as president of the United States. We're talking about John F. Kennedy because of women and their vote. Women of Women influence politics. We went from having no women in our sentence and our House of Representatives till they're filled with women and queers. Then he watched women cut off their hair, put on pants while others shortened their skirts and made their blouses skimpier until the coverings were like that of fig leaves. Check. Six vision. He watched and there rose in the United States a beautiful woman elegantly clothed. She was either vice president or president or something, but like that, but rising in great power, wearing purple, a royal purple, and despite her lovely features, there was a hardness about her that defined description. 
Great power was given to her and she dominated in the, the land with her authority. He was not sure if this was actual actual woman in the, or the rise of the Catholic Church. We know now it was both. We have another Catholic president. Come on, somebody. And a woman vice president. And can you believe it? Holding the nation in their sway. I mean... You've never seen the abuse of power. I mean, the Supreme Court said, no, you can't give student loans free to kids. You know, you can't do that. And what did he do? He finds another way around it. Abuse of power on every side. It ain't just that, it's on everything. Biggest sneak we've ever had in the presidency. He was not sure whether it was an actual woman or the rise of the Catholic Church. Listen, I just want you to think it was both. In this last election, the U.S. elected by the by votes of soccer moms and panty waist, a Catholic president, and a woman as his vice president, and she was dressed in royal purple. Check. We've crossed over. Six visions now. Six visions now. Look over at your neighbor and say, six visions now. And our nation is weak. When have we ever been more weaker? We've depleted our energy fuel reserve. We stripped our military. Instead of rugged men, a bunch of women and gays have filled not only the ranks, but filled the position of officers. And now we can, you know, we ought to be, we ought to be worried about America going to war. With the mess that our military is in. Now we come to the seventh and final vision. He saw the United States stretching before him in, in chaotic ruins, craters pitted the ground, and smoking debris, piles of debris back in the air. As far as he could see, the land was empty of human beings. I want to ask you this morning how close are we to Armageddon? I don't know. I just know the bride's got to leave before that time. And in this time of pain, a bride has been born of the word. We see the earth is about ready to go. And we see the church, she's so rotten, she's about ready to go. And the birth pains is on all, uh, on, on both the, the world and the church. And the rottenness he's speaking of is the decaying of the seed as it changes and gives birth to new life. And we have arrived. The world is in a rotten condition. The nation is in a rotten condition. Russia is in its place. Israel is in its place. There's a bride standing in her place. I'm just asking you, are you in your place? We're here at the birth of a nation. 
There's a bride who will come to complete maturity and be married to the groom and go for a thousand-year honeymoon. First to the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's a world that's in its rotten condition about to give birth to a new earth and the righteous will walk out on the ashes of the wicked. And Israel, and Israel, and Israel is now having to defend what she possessed all over again. And I'm asking you, as we face the conflict, are you ready to defend your inheritance? Are you ready to be a voice for healing? Are you ready to be the voice of miracles? Are you ready to defend holiness? To defend a genuine new birth? Are you ready to take your stand and fight this battle? Are you ready? Because somebody's got to do it. We are here at the end. And the, the world is about to give birth to a new earth. And we are, the word is giving birth to a bride that will go to meet the groom. I want you to bow your heads. Perhaps your home has been invaded. Perhaps your life has been invaded. Maybe your body has been invaded with a horrible disease. Your life has been invaded. Remember this satanic one. He don't care. He's heartless. He destroys families. destroys homes. Could it be the thing that's troubling your house right now is you're under attack the world is calling for Israel just to be a pacifist they're screaming everywhere for them to stop and do a ceasefire rather than drive out the enemy the world is doing the same thing to you. Just let him stay there. Just declare peace. Just let that thing abide in your home. Let it just abide in your life. Just let it keep troubling you. Let it camp there on part where you just kind of draw a defense there in your homeland and say, just stay over there. He won't. He's not satisfied till he completely destroys you. We're in the vision. We're here right at the time Brother Billy has went home. He's come past where Sharon Rose was waiting for him. The greetings is over. Went up to the home, saw his 
loved ones now gathered with the hundreds of thousands of millions as he's welcomed in. Same with Erica. They don't want to come back here except to get their bodies. And they are longing for that. Are you longing for that new body, for that new home? Is there something calling out in you that says, come Lord Jesus, come? Is there something where you're ready to change dimensions and step from time into eternity? Have you made your call in an election? Sure. Have you played church long enough? Are you ready to get serious with God? This is your day, your hour, your visitation. Maybe those pains you've been feeling has been birth pains. They're coming out of your life. Listen, I heard Brother Branham say something years ago. Kind of confused me when he said it. Really, I didn't understand. And he said, there will come a phoenix again. It'll be the coming of the Lord Jesus. And I wondered, what in the world does that mean? And then I learned that a phoenix was a bird in Greek mythology that when it got old and feeble, its eyes all crusty, and it was now earthbound. And it was time for it seemingly to die. And it reached that point that would be a fire that would burn out. I mean, bust out within that phoenix. And it would so completely burn the old bird. And out of that fire would come a new phoenix flying out of it. Maybe it would be today that you need to leave that old life of your past in ashes and out of there come a new life. Maybe it'd be one day that we're going to leave this in the coming of the Lord Jesus, all of this, what you care and you think about and what you've worked for and what you tried for and everything else, and it'll just be ashes. But out of those ashes, you'll be released into a new life. I'm asking you today. Consecrate your life. We're in the battle. It's a war for independence. It's a war for complete liberty. It's a war. It's not a picnic. Would there be someone pray today and raise a hand to God and say, Lord, help me to grasp the seriousness of where I stand right now, where I'm at. As Brother Branham would say to his son, Billy, Billy, where are you standing? Trying to get his son to understand the seriousness of the moment. Would you like to say, God, you're speaking to me today. Trying to get me to understand the hour that I'm in. 
I want to understand where I'm at. If that's where you're at, won't you stand to your feet right now and say, Lord, help me to understand, Lord, completely the day, the hour that I'm in. Let there be awakening, Lord. Let there be a fire begin to burn on inside and just burn out the old man until Christ be formed in me. Let the travail come forth. As Paul said, I travail in pain to be delivered that Christ might be formed in you. You say, I want it, Lord. I want it more than ever before. I want that refilling of that Holy Ghost. I want a, re, re, a new anointing. I want a new dedication of my life as I see things happening. And I see these things coming to pass. And knowing that the, the earth will burn with a great fire. Lord, let there be today a fire within me that it just consumed the world and all of sin. And Lord, make me new in your presence. Father, today I commit this message and your people into your hands. Speak to their hearts, I pray, as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a year.